Hello, and welcome to the Cash News Podcast, informative conversations about all things currency and cash. We'll share insights on the issues affecting the world of cash today, like cash security, payments technology, and the cash supply chain. Your hosts, Tom Meehan and Sean Ferrari, hope to inform industry professionals and support better cash security and management by sharing the latest information on trends, strategies, and technology. This is the Cash News Podcast. Now, here's Tom and Sean. All right, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cash News Podcast. But Sean, man, uh, it, it feels like forever, even though I know it isn't. Just it, it's so interesting because we got to actually see each other. We did it stuff live. Then we were texting each other. You were traveling. I think you were in Mexico while I was in Europe, which is interesting. So, man, it's good to see you. Yeah, yeah, good to see you too. And uh, it's been it's been fun out there. Yeah, I was down in Mexico. Was at a conference called um, High Security Print. It's one of our competitors. I won't go into it too much, but no, it was uh, it was it was really good. There were a lot of as it would be aptly named uh, folks having to do with high security printing there and some new features for currency were talked about and what's on the, the cutting edge from that perspective so it was it was good also they covered a lot of different topics around sustainability and what what everybody's doing in terms of currency production uh, and, and thinking about that topic so it was it was interesting uh, not too much talk there in the digital currency realm although it was obviously hint, hinted at to and fro just kind of about what is that going to do to the cash thing? But all those topics and more were also talked about at our, our bank known currency conference, which Tom said, we'll, we'll promote a video. If you want to hear all those topics and many more, you can go to the currency research website, currencyresearch.com and purchase a video of the banknote and currency conference. And as loyal listeners to the podcast, using the code, Sean and Tom with the and sign in the middle, Sean and Tom, you can get 50% off the purchase price. So go ahead and watch three days of, of content from central banks all over the world. Suppliers gave some great talks about, as I said, new features and just, just new things they're working on. Um, had a lot of good keynote discussions. Tom did an awesome piece at the, the end of one day talking all about cybersecurity and, and risk management and all sorts of fun stuff. It might scare you a little bit, but it was fun nonetheless. So you get to watch that and just have some fun. You can also purchase uh, same discount applies for the recording of the digital currency conference. Uh, so you can go take a look at that if you would like. One full day of content all about digital currency and CBDCs and really fascinating ending day keynote from Aaron Klein at Brookings Institution, which, which kind of was a different way of thinking about CBDCs and their value and what, what they'll do and kind of their their worth in general. So something interesting to, to hear there too. Sorry, I digress. I think it's always good. I, I unfortunately had to leave early Friday morning, so I didn't get to, to get the full you know day of CBDC. And, and I, I think there was a lot of things that I wanted to hear about the digital currency. So I thought I thought we should start with with kind of talking about digital, not because uh, anything more than just because you mentioned it and it was on my brain. So there was an article, and actually I was looking through my notes because I want to make sure that I know where it came from because I think it's important to say it. So there was an ABC article that went out, and it went out in the it went out through multiple channels of from the ABC newsroom. And the article that caught my attention was from Austin, Texas. So although they're all very similar. This one caught my attention. I have a feed that kind of monitors currency and cash because that's what we do, right? Like, so I, I pay attention to it for my full-time job and, and for this. 
The heading, which in Sean and I often talk about this, really caught my attention because it said, experts say physical banks could be a thing of the past if the U.S. creates a digital dollar. And I immediately resonated to read it because my first thought is, well, who are these experts? And I will say that this was a very, very short, like, I don't know, 200 word piece with a video. So it's hard for me to, to get full, but most of them were academic. I, I did look them up. They were professors. You know, expertise is definitely could be uh, there. They were professors in the School of Business. But then when you read further in, and I actually did a little research, what they actually said was more about how um, exactly what Sean and I talk about. And, and this is, I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth. This is my interpretation versus ABC's interpretation. They really talked more about that creating stablecoin could diminish, you know, the need for some traditional banks for some people because there are not a lot of people that bank. Um, and I equate this, and I, I think, Sean, you shared with me, although I wasn't there, someone said something very similar on Friday of your conference. Of, I have always equated a central bank-backed or a bank-backed digital currency to a debit card. I've always said all they're doing is digitizing that fund. And today, if you have $100,000 in the bank and you go to the ATM and you take out 10000 you turn that to cash, right? I know that's a big number. But if you go to the store and you spend $100, you're digitizing your note. You could still get cash for it. So while I know it's not the same, and I know that a lot of folks in the digital world will tell Tom it's not that simple, it's very similar, actually, if, if, if it is a bank-backed digital currency or a U.S.-backed uh, digital currency. It's just really more a method of transfer. So when I read this article further, Sean, it cracked me up because you know there was comments. So the, one of the professors said, it'll be probably as simple as opening an app and you could have some banking service, including loans, on an app. You know what? Um, I think I can, I think I can do that. Yeah, Hold a, on. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a quote, and this is why I'm not I'm not I'm not poking fun, but that's what we do today, folks. That, that is what we do today. That is a bank, a privately held or a publicly held bank, taking your money and providing it to you in a digital form and allowing you to spend it. So, while I don't disagree that there's an evolution here. The one thing that I, I struggle with the most and it came up in this article, it went to this will diminish some cryptocurrencies, the need for some cryptocurrencies. Well, I say this all the time. Cryptocurrency is very different than a, a digital bank currency. The only similarity is that you transfer it digitally. Um, so this is like the new every week I see an ad and, and I often say like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you and I aren't experts in this field. I think we might be at this point. I think we might be able to classify what those are. And I would say there's there's some truth to what was written, but I feel like this is very short article is the media using this really experts say physical banks could be a thing of the past. I would argue that in the last 10 years, the physical bank has probably evolved quite a bit, right? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I think it's it's no one knows yet, but most of the the use cases that I think even the Fed is playing with in terms of how a CBDC would be functioned, it actually still relies on banks to hold people's accounts, just like, as you say, just like with a debit card. I mean, it's essentially the same thing, but it's the banks would hold the accounts and and probably operate the system. Somebody else would operate the system, but nonetheless, you need a bank account is the point. Um, Your money has to be somewhere. And the, the chance of, the Fed, it's obviously a possibility, but I would put it at a very low possibility of the, the Fed opening an account for every person in America. 
they would much rather just say, no, the banks do that. We're not going to do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anything's possible, but that's probably not likely. I would yeah. say it's not likely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I think it, it will it change the need of some banking services? Probably. Will it change how they operate? It could. But again, it's it's too early days, but it's not, I don't think it's getting rid of banks. I think you could argue, you know, depending how it's rolled out, you might see an impact on some credit programs some banks offer. I mean, do credit cards take a different value then? Maybe. I don't know. Depends what you use credit cards for. If if you're still using, if you're using them as the name would imply to use credit, then no, credit cards will still be <laughs> needed because you're still going to need the credit. If you use them to get points, well, you're still going to use them to get points for stuff. So maybe it doesn't impact credit cards all that much either. I don't know. I mean, it's too early to tell. I mean, I think, and that was one of the things folks talked about on Friday of the conference too, um, at the digital currency conference was, you know, let's make sure you know, are, are, what are we designing a, a CBDC or a digital currency for? Are we just doing it to do it? Is there a, a need for this? Is there, you know, and I think some of the arguments obviously are because, as, as you mentioned, digital currencies, because there are so many private sector digital currencies out there, the central banks also need to be in this game um, because they don't want to lose market shares the wrong word. It sounds like they're competing, but their product and not again, not to compete, but to make an economy function smoothly is a fiat currency, right? I mean, yeah. it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a currency and that's what, what they put out. If you have a private entity put out a massive digital currency, that starts to affect the central bank's mission um, in terms of controlling inflation, in terms of controlling all the things that they, they control. Not to get into a huge, I know we were before this we were saying we could have a whole discussion on inflation but but you know not to go too far down that road but once once the private sector gets involved and the, and you relinquish a lever that you have as a central bank it's really hard to get that lever of control back so they started talking about cbdcs and and that kind of gets them in there so it's not to say they're not needed or not useful but from a method of transactions sense no one's clamoring for it. no one's saying like oh my god i must have a cbdc right now or i I just can't function in my daily life. It's not really a need. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what I'm going to do is because I want to make sure as I read the article, the, the couple of the professors, I think this might be a little bit of media magic, right? Where the news is picking and choosing quotes and putting them in sequence. Because when I read the whole article, it actually is very similar to what you and I say, that digital currency wouldn't replace the physical dollar, but you know, could cut the middlemen out in some places, which we, we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And it also talks about that if you had a true stable digital currency, some cryptocurrencies might not be used because if people are, I'm going to actually reach out to a couple of these professors and see if they can come on because I, I think that they actually do have some really valid points and it'd be interesting to have an open conversation with them. I struggle always when there's a news article because you get what the news wants to put into it. And as I read this, actually physically read the whole article, I go back to, man, the, the title doesn't necessarily match <laughs> what, what was said. It, the comment was, yeah. it could. Actually, the, the thing that I, why I think it'd be great is because this is someone that's talking about the business side of money, which is what we probably would create that of some kind. And, and at the end, this is the kind of PSA message. The process is still in the early stages. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're still looking at the, like they don't, so basically it, I just thought it was really interesting because if you, my whole point of it was to have this banter with you and I, because if you just read the headline, 
and didn't actually take the time to read it and watch the video, you would be faced with, man, this, this is doing this, where actually the premise of the article is that there's going to be, people are looking at it and there's changes and it could affect everything. Yeah, that's kind of what you and I say every day. Uh, you know, we know that there, there'll be, you know, and we already know that there are the traditional bank in some places is being replaced with a whole digitized system where you never, can, there is no branch, there is nothing, that that is a reality today, but that's probably not the, the latter piece of it. And, you know, I think it's a little bit of clickbait, right? The story sounds good. And, you know, yeah. the White House came out and said this, but then when you pull it back, I think because our listeners generally care about this. I say this all the time in all of the spheres I work in is be very careful about social media or even traditional media to read it and think through because a lot of times I think we're in this digital age where I know you and I talk about this all the time, like we text, we do things fast. We generally don't read everything. I don't read everything. Like I saved that because of the title and I read it and I didn't, I actually didn't finish reading the whole article the first time I looked at it. And then the second time I looked at it, I'm like, huh. It's not actually what the title says. Like it doesn't match, but it, it got it, it worked right because I saved it, and I'm talking about the podcast. So kudos on ABC because exactly what they wanted they got yeah. because no, no, no. It. yeah, it happens yeah. all the time. I mean, I, when I was at the Fed, we we would give comments all the time to articles and reporters about cash not going mm-hmm. away. Generally, about how many notes we're ordering a year, and yeah. you know, the the order on a given year might be lower because we have inventory or or what have you. And they always wanted to say cash is going away. So we would, you know, spend a half hour on the phone with the various reporters. And then the, just like seconds. you said, th- the, yeah, the, the headline would come out the following week. That's like Fed says cash is disappearing. Yeah. We're like, yeah. when did we say that? And then you read the, <laughs> read the article and there's nothing in there that says that it says yeah. the opposite, but. Yeah. I, I have been quoted multiple times where I actually talked about artificial intelligence and it was the most attention I ever got, which was like kind of weird. It was before I worked here. And I made a quote about artificial intelligence. I literally said, you know, I think a lot of times it's easy to market artificial intelligence and it can be overused and misconstrued. And the quote was, you know, retail expert says artificial, like people are false advertising with artificial intelligence. I'm like, that's not what I said. And I, and I had like this whole thing and I actually got called out like, hey, why would you say that? I'm like, that's not what I said. And I, said, I actually emailed it to them. And it was like, man, this is the problem. And it was like, from this point on, like, I actually generally, although you can't control it, I will like say, I want to see what you're going to say. I said, and I usually like, I'm going to record it. So if you mess with me, like, I mean, because it was a bad, it was a bad scenario because what I had said was artificial intelligence replicates human behavior. You know, the ATM is the, the earliest stage of artificial intelligence that people know about. Microwaves is artificial intelligence. It means a lot of different things to you. I think today, a lot of people use it to market and it's not inaccurate. I think the perception is, and I, I said what I always say, like kind of like understand what it is. And, and that was, when I see articles now, I probably resonate to them. So let's, I want to talk about inflation for a few minutes because I think it's really relevant. And when we were together at Banknote, that was when Russia invaded the Ukraine. We were actually the day we were there, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. There, which is pretty wild, right? Um, so a lot has happened since then. Before we talk about inflation, I just wanted, I thought this was an interesting story. While it doesn't directly relate to currency, it, it, it does kind of talk about uh, economics. So I thought it was important. And so the Department of Justice has released a ton of information. And um, this got certainly national news on, on every platform and, and international news. And what it is, is basically, you know, one of the largest perpetrations of fraud in history. It talks about PPP loans, so payment protection loans. 
and the fraud. And, and, and I'm just going to throw numbers out there to give like kind of concept and why I'll, I'll relate this later on because you and I laugh a lot about this. So Fire Justice says that this is just such a wild, wild number that they, they can attribute as much as 10% of what was handled out, handed out in PPP loans, which is $80 billion. So $80 billion in fraud out of the $800 billion. That's what they can prove right now. So that is wild. They've already made a lot of, they've made a lot of arrests and these are extravagant arrests. Like the, one of the ones I read from a, a California business owner, he bought a Ferrari, he bought, a, you know, another house. Like, I mean, these are, you know, huge arrests. It's certainly the next line of this, which is certainly um, a little bit, I think, even more alarming, is that there was $400 billion, I'm sorry, there was $900 billion of employment benefits given out from the federal government. So that whole extra, you know, unemployment benefit, it was $900 billion. And the Department of Justice is estimating somewhere between $90 billion and $400 billion of it being fraudulent. So when you take those, that number, it's so significant. And it just really talks about in, and I think you and I started this podcast during COVID in this crazy time, we had to do things. We did the right thing, right? We did the PPP loan. Uh, we did unemployment benefits for people we haven't done, but you know, we did all these things and we're looking at potentially a half a trillion dollars in fraud in the US. I just thought it was relevant and we're gonna, cause we're gonna talk about inflation, we're gonna talk about other things. And when you kind of put things together, just the, the sheer magnitude of what that, that means for us. And there'll be more to come about it. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it more. So I don't wanna spend too much time on it, but I really just thought it was just an alarming number. And the one caveat I would put is that 90 to 40, 400 billion number, why it's so extravagant wrong is because the federal government opened up unemployment benefits to people that were self-employed. So there was gray. There was some confusion things that people that were contract and self-employed who never had unemployment benefits all of a sudden had potential to earn. So there is this kind of sector of there where the, the Department of Justice is saying very fluidly, we're not sure if it's fraud. It kind of looks like fraud, but it might be a misunderstanding, but at least 90 billion of it's fraud. So let's just take the 90 plus 80. That's a remarkably high number. Like if you really think 100 billion dollars. And it's a scary number. And it's probably drastically underestimated. So when we get into this inflation comment, and we talk about all these things, I just think in the back of your head, it's like kind of like, wow, we have this almost $200 billion challenge here. What does that mean? Potentially a $500 billion challenge. So if you have comments, or if you even read about that, but it's pretty wild. No, I mean, it is wild. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of money. I think it takes ordinarily, right? It takes government a long time to put in rules and plans and tax codes and everything else. I mean, really long amounts of time. Um, and some of that is intentional and some of it tries to catch the loopholes or clarify or clarify the misunderstandings in the rules or that sort of stuff. When you do stuff as fast as had to be done, I don't want to say it's expected, but it's expected. I mean, it's like you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to put a rule out that you know, tries to save as many people's jobs as possible or tries to keep the economy afloat and you don't have time to do the normal use cases and vetting and, and everything that, that you have to do. So, so yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. Um, and I think, yeah. you know, it's where there was gross fraud. They'll get it. They'll find it. They'll, they'll do it. They're, they'll, you know, yes, it adds up to large sums of money, but if it's a whole lot of people with a little bit of money here and there, 
I doubt there's figure yeah, out where I, you want to spend your resources. I think they're going to go after. The, I think they're going to go after the bigger. The the, the cases I saw were a million seven, four million dollars, eight million dollars. It's not the six hundred dollars that you're thinking. Yeah, okay. but in the scheme of a of you know four hundred billion dollars, a million dollars yeah. is not a big number. But I think it's the extravagant. Like you bought a Ferrari. You, you bought a yacht. Yeah, like yeah, you, you bought you a yacht and a Ferrari. <laughs> we kind of looked at your income statements and you did your taxes. And yeah, there's no way you could have bought that without using this money. So I think those are things. There's one silver lining, if you can call that in the whole story, is that while the, D- the Department of Justice publicly said they believe most of the loss is unrecoverable, there's still $600 billion that is in process of being paid out. So they're now reviewing this huge lump. If you're someone that went in late, you're going to have to get a much greater degree of detail, even when you're doing something else. And to your point, you know, I say this all the time in, in my risk in my risk kind of role had is that anytime you introduce technology, anytime you do anything, it's going to be a small percentage, but people are going to take advantage of it. I think the key here is that 10% of the loss doesn't mean 10% of people. Like it's always very right, careful right, right. To, to say yeah. that, you know, it's probably a much lower percentage. And the unemployment piece, I think you're going to find that to your point is it happened quickly. And there's some people that really might not have understood, you know, some of the things that occurred. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you personally that I got a the child tax credit where they gave it to you ahead of time. And you had to opt out. I didn't even, I got in the check. I'm like, oh man, I thought I had to opt into this. Like, it doesn't matter. It was my money anyway. It was, you know, so, but the whole point was that like, I think I'm pretty good at reading things and paying attention. And when I got that, I'm like, I go, what is this? Let me look this up. Let me make sure. So I, I think it is, there is some gray in it. So let's switch gears to a topic. where it is, And it's hard, right? It's like, if people yeah. like, if you're, as you say, I mean, yeah. And I'm not saying you did or did not yeah. should or should not have gotten the check, but I'm just saying like, there's going to be plenty of people that got checks and for whatever reason shouldn't have. Now the tax code is supposed to fix that when you do your income taxes at the end of the year. But nonetheless, very few people are going to be like, no, don't send me this money. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah it, it, exactly. So the funny thing is I, I remember reading about it in the Wall Street Journal and this was like the monthly and all, all it was was they were going to they basically take what you your deduction and give it to you every month. There's no, this isn't like the special thing. And so at the end of the year, I just unfortunately paid more taxes than I would have paid a year. That's literally what it, what it, what it was. But I think the misconception, and I remember I was out to dinner with someone was someone said, Oh, this is great. We're getting this money. I'm like, no, no, that money at the end of the year, you know, cause you have, and you know, I only have two kids. I know some people that have four and five kids and they're like, this is awesome. I'm like, it will be until you file your taxes and you realize that that money was the money that you usually, you know, use or get. And, and now all the people I know are like, Oh dude, I I've never owed money. And now I do. I'm like, Oh, well you have an army of children and you have a decent job and and, and the government just, it's autopilot. Right. So those are the things that I I think really do, do really play a role in in the mistake happening. Um, And it probably doesn't apply to you and I, right. Cause we were working the whole time. So we didn't have to go figure out new federal unemployment. And um, I have, been you know involved in ppp loans but i can tell you most of the companies that i know that have done it um and i'm saying most because I, I wasn't involved directly they're not defrauding they were trying to keep their employees that's it. literally they were getting the loan to do so that they could stay in business and it was that was what it was designed for um so it was a very good program and i i, I was i think it was one of the things that the the u.s i know struggled to do but was super important so let's talk about inflation for a few minutes but not you know i want to make the caveat of um you know, I think Sean and I talk a lot openly on the podcast because we think it's important, but like I was um recently, and you are way, way smarter on this topic. And that's why I'm so glad you're here because 
I was recently at a, at a dinner and uh, it was a birthday party and someone was asking about inflation and why would we raise interest rates? And then much like I was doing, I said, what about Paul? No one knew what I was talking about, except for, you know, the, I said, but yeah, this happened before. This is what it is. And I thought it'd be a good kind of conversation to just with the group and the listeners talk about what it means and, and why, and at a high level, right? Because we don't have a lot of time here, kind of talk about things that have occurred in the past. And, you know, I mentioned Paul Walker, who is the Fed chair, and I think it was the late 70s, right? I'm not sure, actually. Yeah, the late so 70s, be, like right into the 80s. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, Jimmy Carter was president at the time. Yeah. Sean and I were, were either just born or almost born, probably like, uh, you know, like that thing. <laughs> Maybe maybe we were one or two. Um, I don't know. Maybe we were three. Who knows? Um, but but we were we were certainly not of age of paying attention. But I, I remember growing up reading stories and and really looking at this. And it's kind of a remarkable. And I want you to keep me straight and narrow and talk through this with the group. But basically, we're going to raise interest rates to stop spending, right? Like, I mean, isn't, isn't that what it is? Yeah, basically. I mean, you're we're making money more expensive. So essentially, the economy gets rolling. And as like Tom just talked about, you got PPP loans, you've got tax credits, you've got interest rates that have been at zero for or essentially zero for years now. So money is cheap. So it was yeah. basically, hey, we know the go I mean the Fed's standpoint, and this oversimplifies dramatically, but their their basic standpoint was essentially we know times are hard out there. We want you to keep spending. We want the economy to keep going. So we're gonna make the cost of credit really, really, really cheap. So Go get a loan, go do what you need to do. Just keep spending and keep the economy going. So they made it cheap and easy. Well, that's great. But yeah, go ahead. Continue. No, 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 no. <laughs> because this is cheap and easy. I think from a supply chain standpoint, I want to just roll it into layman's terms because the the borrowing of money, I think, was the thing I said. And people said, I don't understand. I don't understand. Well, what happens is, and you you hit the nail on the head. So we got all these checks. The economy was supposed, everybody thought COVID was going to drive the economy down. What happened? Every consumer electronic in the world sold out and supply and demand changed and supply chains. And so the cost of goods went up, the demand went up. And then that is exactly the opposite, right? We're spending so much that, and, and we actually had the reverse effect. And to, to Sean's point, like everybody in the chain from the manufacturer to the builder, everybody can spend more because money is cheaper. And then when the demand changes, the cost of the good goes up and then it starts to transition to the other side, like building materials go up, everything goes up. And then we're at this space where, wait a second, wait a second, how are we at 8% inflation? What, what does that mean? Why is groceries more expensive? Why is everything more expensive? Sean, I think my, my simple way of putting it is now what, the way to make it less expensive is to slow people buying, to buy ancillary things and make it harder for people to make loans so that they're not building houses quickly and it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Like, it's, yeah, it is. I mean, it's a it's a bizarre situation that we're in. I yeah. mean, but but in essence, yes. I mean, so essentially, the economy, although it may not feel like this is the bizarre, perverse part, although it may not feel like it, there's just too much money out there. Yeah. <laughs> is essentially what yeah. what's happening. There's there's too much, not necessarily cash, but when I say money, I mean liquidity, yeah. money out there, yeah. electronic funds are available. So essentially the Fed says, all right, we need to slow that down. We need to take money out of the system. And they, they can't do that by just, a lot of people think they can just like take a big like crane that you see at like a carnival and like reach down and grab a bunch of cash and just like pull it out of the economy. Well, they can't, it doesn't work that way. But what they can do is make it more expensive to hold your loans <laughs> or yeah. to go get money. And they do that yeah. by raising the interest rates. So the interest rates go up. You're like, oh man, I can't, run this $10,000 credit on my credit card now because it's not costing me 2% to do that anymore. It's now costing me 6% to do that. And that's 
pretty darn expensive. Yep. That's at the individual level, if you think of it. That's what I was hoping you would get to, because I think I think of the corporate level of the cost to build things, like, and the cost to ship things at, at, at containers of things, planes of, of loads of things. And I think what everybody probably doesn't realize is like, hey, if your interest rate, like, let's just go, you're getting a store credit card. Let's use the worst example, right? And you thought 25% interest was bad. Wait till next month because it's <laughs> right. going to be 33 or 34. But then people go, how could that be? The idea is, again, so counterintuitive. The idea is stop you from buying that thing. So that thing is no longer in demand and the cost intuitively goes down. And so Paul Voger, this is why I talked about this at this dinner and immediately they were interested in the premise, but they were like, why do you know this? And I'm like, well, I'm do do this podcast about cash and currency and it's kind of my full-time job to know about money so like, that's kind of why i know i guess but the funny thing is with paul not funny is when when he became the chair it wasn't the late it was definitely in the late 70s because carter was there so that'd be 79 78 but i do know that in 1981 the inflation was 13 and a half percent so almost double right what it is no not we're at 7.9 i think today or something but rid- ridiculously high Sean went to school for this. I didn't. <laughs> he, he basically went to Jimmy Carter and said, it's going to be extremely painful and it's going to be a few years. But if we do this, we're going to bring inflation down and it re-raise interest rates significantly. And I think, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm going to get this pretty close. We went from 13% in 1981 to 3% in 1983, but basically made it impossible to borrow or spend ancillary funds, right? Like, is that probably? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was yeah. it was a painful, I wasn't, as you say, I don't remember it. I was yeah. a wee, wee young lad, but yeah, it was painful to do that sort of stuff. I think the, the crazy part now, and again, I'm not close, don't take this as PhD talking because it's not, but um, <laughs> But the bizarre part now, right, is that kind of like you were saying, the prices have gone up and inflation went up without the Fed doing anything to start. Like that wasn't necessarily the case before, right? So like essentially because of the supply chain challenges, because of COVID changing the way people work, because a whole host of things that are going on in the economy, gas prices, <laughs> because yeah. of all, all sorts, right? I mean, that's driving inflation up because of input good costs. Forget yeah. the cost of credit. It's just, yeah. it costs more to make things yep. <laughs> and to go yep. places. So everybody's raising I, yeah. prices. So yeah. that's a whole different dynamic because that's not the Fed doing anything. That's not nope. cooling. That's just, so what do you do? So, I mean, it's a yes to pull some credit back to gain control. The thought was historically, yeah, you increase Fed funds rates and you increase cost of credit. Okay, well, inflation's already going up, and that's going to cool the economy by itself. So, what do you do? Um, I don't. I I, I don't know. It's not a a clean answer. I think it's great to talk about it because I don't think. And you work for the Fed, and you definitely are more in tune to this. I don't think people really quite understand that the Fed isn't really a government agency, and how they work, and the board of governors, and. And then to think that they're not, it's a very weird dynamic, but this individual has no political affiliation, but people think they're part, like, you know, they're like, it's a really weird dynamic. And in 1979, or, you know, I think this is also, we, we, we missed this, right? You used to be able to save money and you'd get a huge amount of interest <laughs> on cash. Right. I don't remember that ever, right? Like I'm too young to remember that, but I, I think we raised the interest rate to almost 20% in the uh, Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. I was going to say it was in the 20s. I want to say even like at some point, I don't know if it was in the 80s yeah. or if it was in the 70s, but it was in like the 30 range. It was like, it was like high. 
Yeah. So, you, but if you think even twenty percent versus a quarter percent, and all like, <laughs> right. like it, so this is a very interesting place to be in. And we didn't have COVID, right? Although we did have a, a pandemic in nineteen sixty eight that everybody forgot about. That's okay. It wasn't as big. We did have some of the Cold War era things that are a little bit similar, but not the same. As a manufacturer, the cost of goods with everything have gone up and not, it isn't artificially inflated. It, it has to do with supply chain challenges when you closed factories, you stopped things, and now you need to catch up. And and this is like, I wrote an article about this and, and I talked about this on a, on a radio show once is we had it wrong in supply chain. Like all of the analysts said, stop manufacturing, stop ordering, stop doing anything. No one's going to spend money. And they were wrong. And and what, what they couldn't ever anticipate, and this is not, I wasn't right. So I'm not saying I was right. I'm just saying like they were so wrong is that they couldn't anticipate, well, everybody's going to be home at school, which means everybody's going to have to buy computers. People are going to buy web cameras. People are going to buy headphones. People are still going to need new cars. And we didn't do a real good job of analyzing that globally. So everybody shut down. And the domino effect, we couldn't catch up because some people shut down. And this is a fact. This isn't an opinion. I, I know this. They stopped manufacturing because people stopped ordering because we assumed it was a challenge. And then their factories closed with COVID. And then we went like, oh, man, we there's no laptops left anywhere in the United States. Could you make us more? And they're like, yeah, we can't because our factories closed because of COVID. And you guys stopped. We stopped the order on the chips because no one did it. So this domino effect of the cost of goods is in some cases phenomenally more expensive than it was before. So, and I know because yes, I'm a nerdy tech guy, but I also do this for a living. But every car in almost every car in the United in the world, forget about the United States, and everything that has any type of onboarding computing uses a Linux-based. Sometimes they call it a Raspberry Pi computer. Well, you can't get them. So something that was sub $20 before is now $300. So I just want to let everybody know on a car, maybe adding $300 a cost doesn't sound like a lot, but how about your, your, your home, you know, any of your home goods or your, your cell phone, things like that. And by the way, adding 300, a $300 component, it makes a huge difference when you can't get it. And it, so there are little things like that. There are chips today that were 60 and 70 cents that are selling on the open market for three and $400. So that that's, the reality because of the supply and demand. By the way, that, what Sean said is no way to make that stuff up. That that directly it, it inflates things because people still buy it. Unless someone goes, screw you, I'm not buying that. I'll never. And everybody together says, I'm not buying that for three hundred dollars more. The second everybody or most people do that, then the demand goes down, the price goes down. So. They're, the yeah. only way to do that is to stop the spending. Right. You have to stop spending. And, and you know, one of the other economic principles out there, right, is prices are sticky going down, right? Yeah. So so yeah. now the the other interesting point is, okay, so now you're paying $300 more for your smartphone. Cool. Yeah. I, I don't care yeah. what, I don't care when that chip goes back to six cents. I'm still going to charge you $300 more for yeah. that cell phone, which yeah. is going to be interesting. And maybe that's where we get more into the long range stuff of the Fed and interest rates and actually right. forcing people to spend less i i don't know but it's a it's a whole different world and some of those and, things that yeah. volker talked about may or may not apply <laughs> i i want to address the, the sticky price because that is in, in my full-time day job that comes up often where people are like well you're 
that is around the board. That isn't the person selling the goods going like, ha ha oh, ha. Yeah, right. no, that's true. Yeah. The component never comes down. <laughs> Nothing ever goes back down. So the reality is the only way to drive the component down is to not order the component and the manufacturer of the component going like, well, I can't get that for it. So when people think sticky prices, they think I'll use retail like Walmart, Target are screwing us because they're charging us 30% more. That's because they're paying 30% more. And <laughs> They can't get the price down. And then I'm going to throw this out there because I don't think it's common knowledge and not because it's just, why would it be? Like I was in Europe and I was actually in Europe. I was very close, physically, very, very close to the Ukrainian border. I was about 400 miles away and I was talking to people and I do some risk stuff on the side, right? So we always talk about that. That's my other job, the risk piece. And the I, I was talking to a, a person who's in this space 100% of the time and he said, man, we're having a, a real challenge now because we closed airspace over Russia. So now we have to fly around Russia, which adds about three hours to the flight, which means we have to do more fuel, which means it costs more, which means all these things. So that in itself will extremely change the price of goods because now my component cost that I had to transfer from, let's just use this analogy, from China to Central Europe, used to fly right over your Russia now to fly around it. Right, it's got to go around a long and, way. And, and so that means the supplier of that component, the, everybody absorbs that cost. So when you throw this this thing in the Ukraine in, and it's almost, I feel bad, you know, I feel bad in the global economy, but the Fed is in a tough spot because it would be hard enough to address inflation without a pandemic, adding a pandemic and adding a, you know, a war and then adding all these residuals in and, we just give an influx to cash, right? Like you said, we gave, we wanted to keep people spending. This isn't like the 70s. There isn't, that isn't, the, you know, this isn't the fair comparison to the 80s. The 80s was really a boom, right? Like job, it, jobs yeah. were booming. It was well, no, that was it, right? I mean, yeah. regardless of who said the whole punch bowl thing with Volcker, I mean, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the, the analogy was when the party gets going good, we, you know, ruin the party by taking the punch bowl out and raise yeah, inflation. Exactly. Well, you can argue here, though, the party was never going. It was, yeah. there was yeah. no, <laughs> so there was, well, I mean, yeah. there was to some degree, but it, I would, I would venture to say most people weren't like, woo, these the past yeah. few years were amazing. It's been great. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So. It, it, the, the, the interesting part about Paul Voger and I, and it, there's so many, if, if you're in, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't, you should read this book, it, it's worth it. But I believe, and you know, this is, this is my opinion, right? Cause I'm sure someone would say someone else is it. I do believe today, where we're at today, directly relates to some of the things the Fed did with under Paul Voter. Because if the inflation continued, we would have we we would not have been able to sustain. We we really would have had a problem. And and the funny thing is, there's a lot of direct quotes about him going right to, to Carter and saying like, if I do this, it's going to be brutal for the economy. Br like literally, the most painful thing that the economy ever has. But I promise you. In a few years, we'll all be celebrating because of it. And it, for lack of better words, and you would definitely keep me straight now here because I don't want to say it the wrong way, we, we intentionally tanked the economy in that, in that period. Like we did as much as we could to stop spending. But, and he rapidly bought the, the rate down, rapidly by doing that. So while some people would say it stunk, it stunk for a year or two as opposed to stinking for 50 years. Like it's a really interesting dynamic to say and to say like when you read it on paper i go oh my goodness i can't imagine what would happen if the interest rate went that high but i also can't imagine what will happen if inflation gets to 20 percent because i manufacture so i i actually know what what it's like to try to develop and and deploy a product and 
I understand the the risk to the customer going like I can't pay this and that's when we can't make it like it, it's, right. it's this no right cycle. I mean yeah and I mean, you can't well, borrow money to pay for it the, and guess yes. what no one can borrow money to get the components that's the whole and cycle. that's the thing I mean and that's the thing the only there are very limited tools right that yeah that economists central banks have and and, and interest rates is pretty much you know it. So you, so they're gonna. That's what you have to do. If if, if there's inflation, you're gonna raise interest rates and and break the inflation. <laughs> we're gonna watch it and we're gonna talk about it because I think it's gonna be very interesting to the listener audience. And uh, what I does think- that mean? It's it's gonna be it's gonna be really expensive to hold cash. Yeah. Um, it's already getting more expensive to hold cash, and all that cash cycle stuff that we talked about is gonna come into play. Where it's like, where it didn't matter if I had shoe boxes of cash in the corner of my room over here. Well, it's gonna matter pretty soon if if I'm a yeah. if I'm a retailer or and I want to yeah. like deposit that because I want to get the interest on it. It's not gonna be free for me anymore. It's gonna cost me it's money gonna, to hold that cash. Co- exactly, it's gonna cost you. <laughs> and and the alternative is gonna cost you a tremendous amount of money. Trying to do it on credit is not going to. You are not going to want to do that. You're going. You're going to have to use your cash differently, and you're going to have to be very, very selective about how you manage your your habits in the future. And you know, like I'm certainly not looking forward to that portion of it, but um, I do think that hopefully you and I, Sean, are, are uh, on the same page here. Where look, inflation's at eight percent. It's not at thirty percent. It's not twenty percent. It's not even at ten percent. So maybe this will cur- curtail it. I think the raise in gas prices not i think i know people still can't get cars if there's people are buying cars faster than they're being made used cars are up 40 percent. when you think of a used car being up 40 percent, i returned my lease and they gave me more money than what it was originally worth to turn it in early like that you know because it had low mileage to think about that like the logic of wait a second you're going to actually give me more money than the sticker of my car a year and a half ago to take it back and give me a new car like why well because we need cars so desperately that we'll do anything at this point so it's a really interesting interesting dynamic so i think we've rambled a lot yeah we've <laughs> rambled a lot yeah so uh, that's good yeah yeah i think got, i think it's a good segment you got your you got your money's worth today Talking yeah. about inflation and what have you, but it's good. Discount the discount. Remind <laughs> everybody about the fifty percent. You won't really hear discussion on on this uh, economic philosophical topics that Tom and I have been talking about, but you will hear about digital currencies and and central bank policies around cash. Um, so yeah, if you want to purchase the recordings of the banknote and currency conference or the digital currency conference, uh, go to the currency research website, currencyresearch.com. And when you go to purchase it, uh, use the code Sean and Tom with the and sign in the middle, Sean and Tom, Uh, you're going to get a whopping 50% 50% off the cost. That'll help your inflationary spending right there. Really well too. Yeah. It's, it's just it's a phenomenal <laughs> deal. It, it really is. It's a phenomenal deal. I, and I, I'm, I'm not even joking when I say it because I, I was there. The keynote by itself will tell you how good the content will be. Um, and it really was great content for if, like, if you're listening to this and you weren't able to go, it, you'll have value. And, and you're doing it, you're doing it because we have a lot of banks here, right? If they do this, they can share it with their whole team, right? This is their oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an institution license. So if you purchase it as a as a company or as a person at a company, you can share it uh, with everybody at your company. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I it's available. Yeah, I think we have it available for three months um, after you you start it, so you have time to do that um, and watch it and get a little education. So. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's a great offer for everybody and for the listeners. And um, we want to thank Currency Research, you know, for for sponsoring us. We want to thank Control Tech for sponsoring us and please like and subscribe and 
give us feedback. You can get us on LinkedIn. You can find us. We're not hard to find. We're actually pretty easy to find. There's a high likelihood that if you're listening that you probably have one or both of our cell phone numbers. So feel free to text us. We love text messages. Um, we, we love it when people send us pictures with the cash news hats on. Uh, we like all those things. So you know, feel free to reach out if you want to be a guest, if you have an opinion. We're going to start soliciting some guests that uh, off of news stories, news stories, I think now to talk about some of these things, because we think there's value in bringing kind of what I would say is a non-traditional guest, probably for Sean and I, especially some folks from the academic world. But thank you for listening to us. Uh, please like and subscribe and uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Cash News Podcast. We hope you found this episode insightful. Don't forget to like and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and be sure to visit us at thecashnews.com to stay up to date with the latest on the world of cash. Thanks again for listening to the Cash News Podcast.